0: facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio.
1: Hey, welcome to the program. I'm so glad that you're with me. Of course, you can always email the program. Love to hear your comments on this program after the fact. Any questions, comments, show ideas, become a shadow producer, you can send them to me. The email address is K-L-C-A-L-E at RelevantRadio.com, and you can find me also on the X app formerly known as Twitter. My handle is at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E Clark with an E. And I'm going to get right into it. My guest today is well known to many of you. A lot of Catholics know her through her prolific presence on social media. Her books focused on the concept of Memento Mori, Remember Your Death. And she's experienced recently metaphorically speaking, I guess metaphysically speaking, in a sense, uh, a death and rebirth of her own. She's going to share about that. She's now part of the Sisters of the Little Way, a new private association of nuns in the church. And she joins me today on the Kale Clark Show from somewhere in the Archdiocese of Portland, Oregon. Sister Teresa Alethea Noble is here on the program. Sister, thank you so much for taking the time. How are you?
2: Thanks for having me on Kale. I'm, I'm doing really well.
1: How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's great to have this conversation. Um, it's one of those situations where I feel like I know you cuz I've read your work and sometimes people call on the show and they say, "Hey Kale, I feel like I know you because I have been listening to you for a while." And that's mm-hmm. it's it's you know how it goes and 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 but a lot of people who, who might be listening right now maybe don't know much about you and your background. So I always like to ask my guests in the beginning to share a little bit about their superhero origin story. And for you, it kind of starts in Tulsa Oklahoma, Tulsa, Oklahoma, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, I am from Tulsa, Oklahoma. My family is still there. And um, I guess in, in terms of my faith journey, I became an atheist when I was 14. And I was away from the church for about 12 years. And I returned and very soon after entered the convent. Uh, you go from one extreme to the next I guess and <laughs> after that I was in um, the convent for 12 years and I was about to make my perpetual vows with uh, another congregation and I just I've the Lord was really clear that he wanted me to do something else and he had to be he has to be pretty clear each time like clear the mm. point where he tells me i exist hello <laughs> and then clear the next time where he's like i want you to to veer in another direction suddenly and so i was i was 3 months away from making perpetual vows and he made clear to me that it was he was asking me to do something new and at the same time mm. two other sisters were discerning the same thing and so we are now in we went from east coast to the west coast and our lives have completely changed because god is just kind of like that
1: (laughs) yeah he's always uh for sure god of surprises we we know that and and i I can identify with with that sister this idea of needing a clear clear sign message go this way and you you, yeah you've unpacked a lot of things in in what you just said over the over the past few moments but i want to just go back for a second to when you were a teenager, and you and you decided that you were an atheist at the age of, I think you said fourteen, now, your parents were Catholic, mm-hmm. though, right?
2: they were they were very Catholic. My dad was a theologian and he taught at a Catholic university and worked at for Catholic dioceses. Um, but interestingly, that was kind of part of the problem. <laughs> hmm. um, and it's it's related to our current mission, really, because I because he was so, <laughs> in the heart of the church he saw mm. the best and the worst and therefore his kids saw the best and the worst and i remember as a kid saying to myself i feel like some of these people are hypocritical and it, and i just thought mm. I, I feel like if if the point of faith is you know not only our salvation but in the mean in the meantime while we're working towards our salvation to be charitable to others and to be good to others um I think I can do that on my own, and that was part hmm. of my thought process as a teenager. Interesting. And in our current mission, I, I think back to that because I, I think God had a plan all along. I can really understand the people who leave the church for those reasons. Mm-hmm. For you know, they see what philosophers call like meager moral fruits. If if they don't see that your faith is making you a better person, then that can be a reason for them to think, "Well, I'm just—I'm not sure that your faith is—that this is actually credible and this is real."
1: Yeah, I, I, the meager moral fruits. That's, That's—that's a great line, and and I, it's interesting because I, I feel like kids, even if—and uh, I'm—I'm sure that you had formation in the faith with your your dad being a PhD, of course, and uh, in terms of religious of your religious education. But I, I always find that that. Teenagers, even if they don't have a great religious formation, they have an excellent detector for hypocrisy. Um, and, and yes. they just somehow kind of know, and I don't know exactly why that is um, but but they they do sense it, I think there's no question about it, not just kids but adults too.
2: Yeah, that's something I love about teenagers, but also just certain kinds of people who think in different ways. Um, they just really have a, a detector for authenticity. And if people aren't being authentic, they can tell. And I think that's one of the reasons um, why some forms of evangelization just don't work on certain kinds of people, because they have that kind of detector going, yeah. whether it's from hmm. life experience or different things have kind of turned that on for them.
1: Like what What types of evangelism are you referring to that you think might not work, sister?
2: Um, I think, for instance, uh, um, when people are thinking about the people who have left the church in a way that kind of emphasizes that, it, it must have been their lack of formation. I think that's, that's one problem. We kind of mm-hmm. characterize people who leave the church in certain ways. Um, and I think that can, that can cause us to evangelize in a certain way. And I, I know for myself, you know, I left the church when I was 14. My dad was a theologian. I was I was very well catechized. I And I, a lot of people who leave the church are well catechized. You know, I know people who yeah. have left the church who are ministers in the church. I know people who have left the church who are religious sisters. Um, it's Sometimes that's not the issue. Yeah. And I think that can cause us to evangelize in a way that may not reach the heart of someone who... Knows everything, hmm. but there are other reasons that yeah. that may be supporting their decision to leave.
1: Yeah, that that is intriguing. That is really intriguing, sister. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. My guest is Sister Teresa Alethea Noble, and I think that's true because when it when it comes to the fallout uh, of people leaving the church in droves over the last few decades, I think a lot of the the answers that people want to proffer as to how to fix the problem is more catechesis, more formation at an intellectual level but that's not always gonna it will do it for some people for sure but but there's a Mm -hmm. lot of other stuff going on with people and and um we're complicated beings obviously and and i i do want to talk about for sure what what you think a a better solution might be but but i do want to get back to your own story for just a second because Eventually, somehow you wound up in Costa Rica. Can you tell me what led you at Bryn Mawr College, and you were like leading an animal rights club there? And just talk to me about that process, how you got to Costa Rica, and and what happened there.
2: Uh, So, all throughout college, I, I was an atheist, and after college, I taught for a couple years in Teach for America, so I was teaching in inner city schools. And I was taking a break before I went to mm. law school when I went to Costa Rica. And uh, what happened there was my conversion. And similar to when God was like, I, I'm going to veer you in a new direction. This was a complete you know, 180. He just said he, I was um, working on a farm. And being surrounded by, by nature and the goodness of the people there, I just was evangelized by the beauty of the the nature and the goodness of the people. And one day I was walking and I, it was like a a moment from one second to the next that God kind of presented himself to me through the reality and the being of the world and the beauty of the world. And he's, he just said to me, I exist and I love Mm. you and I have a plan for your life.
1: Wow, that's that's incredible. So it's almost like the transcendentals, the beauty uh, of the world of nature, as you said, the goodness of the people that you're with, and then truth personified, <laughs> I guess it gets a hold of you, yeah, truth, exactly. goodness, and beauty. And, and I know that mm-hmm. the, the transcendentals are, are really important to what, you're, to what you're doing right now, which which we'll definitely get into. And, okay, so so you somehow got a sense of God's reality, and did you know immediately that, that you were to sort of re-embrace your Catholic faith, or had you... Thought well, maybe there's something else going on here.
2: (laughs) Yeah, interestingly, people could just kind of assume I went straight back to the Catholic faith, but I had a lot of obstacles to doing that—intellectual ones and emotional ones—and I really was not interested in returning to the Catholic Mm. Church. But through my relationship with God, I just—you know—I I knew that He was real, and so I just started to confide in Him and talk to Him and. And through my prayer life, it just became clear that he was calling me back to the Catholic Church. And so (laughs) that that was a process.
1: (laughs) Were you like, like I was like, no. (laughs) Yeah, I was just going to say, were you like, like anywhere but there, Lord?
2: (laughs) Basically, yes.
1: (laughs) I'm going to have to admit to my dad, you know, you were right. (laughs) Yeah,
2: exactly. (laughs) They were very gracious about it and excited, my parents. Yeah.
1: Yeah, well that that that's I'm sure they were and so what how many years did you spend sort of incubating if you will before you thought about religious life or how did that all take place?
2: Um, you know, I can't remember the exact number of years, but I think it was a few years where you know, I just I was working in the Bay Area, I was working in an IT and I would go to daily mass and I started to have a spiritual director and I did that adoration it. and it just, he, again, God kind of cl- did clearly directed me to discern because otherwise I definitely would not have done it. Um, where I just started to see religious sisters, like uh, the missionaries of charity, hmm. Mother Teresa's sisters, out of the corner of my eye and I would look and it wasn't them, but he was kind of like hmm. reminding me of that possibility, which I I had forgotten since childhood really. And so that initiated my uh, discernment into religious life.
1: Oh, wow, that's, that's, that's amazing. And of course, you started off with the Daughters of St. Paul. We'll, t- we'll talk about that in, in just a second. But uh, if you have a question for Sister Teresa, and I know a lot of you guys out there have read her books, have been following her journey, uh, you can call in 888-914-9149. It's Kale Clark show on Relevant Radio. My guest is Sister Teresa Alethea Noble from the Sisters of the Little Way. We've got, we've got a caller on the line from... From the Bay Area, from San Francisco. Joe in San Francisco is on the line. He wants to tell you something, sister. Hi, Joe.
3: Oh, hi, uh, Kale. Um, number one, Thanksgiving greetings to both of you.
1: Thank you. Happy but Thanksgiving actually, to you, when, Joe. When
3: I when I called uh, the screener, uh, I said to her, I said, Kale changed my life for the better. And I've apologized. I wasn't calling in for the s- uh, the sister, but I can, I'd be happy to talk to the sister, but I wanted to tell you why you changed my life for the better, Gail. Uh,
1: well, uh, sure, well, you know, we're, we're, I yeah. I th- yeah well, hey, listen, we're, we're here to well, talk to sister, but, exactly. but you can, you can, you can change, you can, you can share real quick, but, uh, but I encourage oh, you to, to look into sister's work too, because believe me, she's a lot more, a lot more life changing you know, than I am. That's for too, sure. I
3: have a, with, with the daughters, are you, sister, are you familiar with the daughters of charity? here in uh daily city san francisco area
2: i i know the daughters of charity yeah mm-hmm. but not not in that yeah, area
3: so yes yeah, so, so so then um, sister william eileen who who runs the area here in in san francisco is a very close personal friend and she's uh, changed my life for the better as well and we have such heart to heart conversations and um i had a um it, it's just wonderful to have that friendship because it's so nurturing and I really encourage yeah. other people to kind of get out of their shell and to try to connect with these people in religious life, because That's you can beautiful. have a transformation within your own life.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and friendships uh, are really important for for everyone. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Thank you, Joe.
3: Uh, Kale, t- t- you're welcome, sister. Um, Kale, I'll tell you why you changed my life. So about two months ago, you had on your program about segmenting parts of your day in four-hour increments. Oh, yeah. Like for Four hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what happened was I've been a procrastinator all my life, yeah, and I too. started thinking about that. So the next day I implemented, you changed my life for the better. My work life and personal life are fantastic because of you and your programming.
1: Oh, well, th- thank you for sharing that, Joe. I really appreciate that. I'm I'm so glad it was helpful for you, and, and I know you're a faithful listener of the program, and I I'm so thankful that you called in to tell me that. That that's a. Uh, well, Mark Twain used to say that he could go one month on on uh, on just one word of encouragement and I, I could use about three a day. So I appreciate that, Joe. That That's very encouraging. And I'm glad to hear about the, the positive uh, impact on your life. And uh, I know you're a faithful listener out in San Francisco. Appreciate you and happy Thanksgiving to you, Joe. Please call back soon. And yeah, sister, I think what you said was so key that, that friendships are really important. And I know that you mentioned having a spiritual director. I, I'm sure that was a... a it's a different kind of friendship of course, but that really did help in your own personal discernment no doubt.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Spiritual doctors can be really important in discerning God's will. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Sure. And so listen, we we got to take a quick break right now on the show, but we'll we'll come back and and we'll we'll hear more about your journey and where God is taking you now, the surprising twists and turns. In the journey of Sister Teresa Alethea Noble, you're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. Be right back.
0: This is The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life.
1: Hey, welcome back to The Kale Clark Show. My guest today is Sister Teresa Alethea Noble from the Sisters of the Little Way. And you can call in if you have a question for Sister, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. And I'll tell you this, um, you probably know Sister very well from her writings about the Memento Mori phenomenon, the Memento Mori Lenten devotional. I actually, Sister, I actually used that a lot last year on the program. for Every day during Lent, I would share a little bit from that devotional. found it really helpful, and I know our listeners did as well. Also, the author of books such as The Prodigal You Love. And she kind of has a prodigal story, too, which she told uh, before the break. And The Memento Mori Advent Companion. You're definitely going to want to grab that if you can. And, and Sister, I want to talk a little bit about what happened in the summer of 2020. 21 you were in the process of making really about to make your final vows uh, with the daughters of saint paul you went to italy and this is where you know and i i, assume, I was kind of assuming because i follow you on twitter your handle is at pursued by truth if anyone else wants to follow you there uh, sister I, I always follow you and i and you kind of went dark for a little while and i, and I kind of thought you know maybe she, it's just because of the discernment process this is part of the deal but mm-hmm. there, were, there were other things going on weren't there
2: there were, yeah. Um, before I answer that, I just want to return to your last question before oh, the sure. break where you asked about the importance of spiritual direction. Mm, yeah, and, sure. you know, part of our, our charism or our mission in the church is really to say some of the uncomfortable things. And, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things that I, that I do feel like it's important to note, in addition to the importance of spiritual direction and how, how valuable it can be. Because our ministry is to people who used or wounded or scandalized, I just feel kind of an obligation to point out that it's also a context where abuse can happen. And we do hear from people mm. who have experienced that. So it's not to say that spiritual direction is something that people shouldn't do. It's very important. But at the same time, it's something just to be cautious about. Um, especially, you know, I don't know if people know about the situation with Father Alex Crow, and he had a spiritual direction relationship with with an underage girl, and that became abusive. And that's something that's been in the news recently. Has probably scandalized many people. Mm-hmm. And these are uncomfortable topics and things that I feel uncomfortable even bringing up sometimes because people don't want to talk about them. They are a reality in the church, and it's important when we talk about these good and very important things to alongside that point out just, just things that people need to be cautious about. And, and that's one of the things that creates a safer church. So
1: just wanted to say that. Yeah, that, that, that's a good point sister. And, and that's something that that's not talked about an awful lot. And, and obviously the charism of the sisters of the little way has to do with this, with with providing healing. And and we're going to talk, we're going to talk about this and, and that's kind of baked in, I think a little bit to what, what happened to you in Italy as you were discerning, how, how was it that God, like, tell me that, like, how did you, how did you become aware that God was asking you to, for something else?
2: Um, You know, I was asking a lot of questions at the I'm I'm kind of that type (laughs) who asks a (laughs) lot of questions um, and the response to me was uh, from, you know, the people I was asking questions to was not very, I, I mean, I, I I told told my superiors later, I just felt like it was extremely mishandled. But the mishandling of it led me into a discernment that never would have happened otherwise. And I I just brought it to the Lord and I said, what are you doing here? I really need to understand where you are because you have. Guided me here. You've kept me here, and I just assumed this would be my future. And um, he just very clearly said, "I am your future." And mm. he kind of blew up my plans, and that was really, you know, that's that's really been my experience of God. He even from painful and really horrible things that can happen in our lives. He comes in and he blows up our plans and turns us in a new direction and he brings great good out of it. So that has been an experience in so many different junctures in my life. Yeah. And that, that was what happened then. Yeah. He just said, it's time, time for us to do something new.
1: <laughs> So you, you didn't receive any locutions or it was just sort of a sense that you got, or did you have something a little bit more on the supernatural side? I don't know if you can talk about that or not, if that's the case, but.
2: Um, I, I just, in my prayer, I, I don't even know how to describe it. I just felt a lot of clarity and care mm. from him. Um, mm. And I, I did, I did in my prayer, I did, it wasn't like a locution, but you know, sometimes when, after your prayer, you can write down what he said and, and, that that I am your future was something that wow. he, he did say to me. You know, like when when I was like, What is my future? What is my future? Um, he very clearly said, I am your future. And sort of, that's kind of carried me.
1: That that's incredible. That, that I am your future. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, yeah, that's that's we have all kinds of plans, don't we? And and uh we love to tell God our plans and um <laughs> We, 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 when we give our plans to the Lord so, and our problems to the Lord, very often we have an idea of how he we'd like him to work those out, don't we? I mean, was, uh, here's a problem, and here's how I'd like you to solve it, Jesus. But but he's like, no, 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 I've got I've got another way here. I've got another way here. I am your future. I'm blowing up your plan, and I've got another plan. And my plan for you, Sister Teresa, is the sisters of the little way. So how did this all take shape, and, and how did this sort of, uh, like, dovetail with 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 this new thing that Jesus was doing in your life
2: yeah I, I'd always had a heart for people on the fringes of the church or people who didn't feel like they belonged and that was one of the main reasons why I did a lot of ministry when I was with the daughters of Saint Paul online because that's where hmm. you reach those kinds of people yeah and so I felt I felt the Lord just had you know he has a heart for the one in the 99. And I just felt like he, that I was participating in his love for those people. And as I discerned with Sister Maria Kim and Sister Danielle Victoria, we just, we felt like he was calling us to, to specifically reach out to those people, but to especially reach out to those who have been abused or wounded or scandalized by members of the church, which if you Think about that last verb, scandalize. That really includes a lot of people.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And one of the, one of the things that we were talking about uh, earlier before uh, we went on air, sister, is that that is always kind of in the background when you're talking to people who have either left the church or don't want to enter the church. What are, what are some of the issues, the the reasons why? And sometimes in our evangelistic efforts, it's not it's not it's not the issue for everyone but for a lot of people it's, it's omnipresent and to ignore it is not helpful, is it?
2: Yeah. And I think, I think that although people won't necessarily leave the church and say, the reason I'm leaving the church is the abuse crisis. I think it's in the background of a lot of people's reasons for leaving mm-hmm. the church. You know, um, in 20, in, uh, 2019 Gallup did a, did a survey and. of American Catholics said that news of the reported sexual abuse by priests had them re-examining their religion. So 40% Hmm. of Catholics, that's a huge percentage. In 2021, another survey found that 31% of adults, U.S. Catholics, said the abuse crisis made them embarrassed to identify as Catholics. So I think that this is something that is running in the background of a lot of people's perception of the church, whether they're in the pews or outside of the pews. And I think that if you don't acknowledge that, if you kind of treat it as an ancillary issue or something that we, Oh, you know, we talk about that only in certain circumstances, then you're not really addressing that, that this was not just a situation of, you know, particular priests being abusive this is a situation that was also a systemic cover-up and so Mm -hmm. that 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 leads to a lack of trust you know a a deep lack of trust and that can create situations where people leave the church whether they they identify that as the reason or or not
1: yeah and i i think you're right sister and I, i think that also um as one author says, when you when you're trying to convince anybody of anything, you can't you can't plant a negative. Like so, it, for for example, to bring it up is not necessarily a bad thing, even if that's not the issue that that person is dealing with. Because if it's not, they'll tell you, no, that's not that's not what's mm-hmm. keeping me out of the church. It's this, it's that. But if it is there, you need to deal with it. You need to address the negative before you can. Uh, move forward i think i think that's that's true in this case like sunlight is the best disinfectant we've we've got to bring this stuff out into the light
2: yeah and we know from scripture like the light of christ shines in the darkness and if we don't acknowledge that darkness then how can we preach that light and especially when that darkness is coming from the heart of the church we really Mm. lose credibility with people when we don't acknowledge those things and we don't show to them that we're taking them very seriously and that it's not a matter of just putting programs in place this is a, a deep renewal and reform that is needed in the in the church
1: you're listening to the kale clark show on relevant radio my guest is sister Teresa alethea noble from the sisters of the little way and sister we were talking earlier about the transcendentals truth goodness and beauty and these are things that often draw people to catholicism but when it comes to this crisis there's a, there's a great lack of, of all three things, a lack of truth, as you mentioned, a cover-up in many cases. Uh, it's certainly a pretty ugly situation, not beautiful, and, and, and just evil instead of goodness. Let's face it, let's call it for what it is. Mm-hmm. So how how do how should we be addressing this in the church? How, how ought we to be uh, dealing with these issues and not sort of papering it over?
2: Yeah, our our name, Sisters of the Little Way of Beauty, Truth, and Goodness, there's a reason that we begin with beauty. And you hear that a lot when people talk about evangelization, the importance of, of leading with beauty. But sometimes that can be really reductive, and we can think of it just in terms of, you know, just making sure that our graphic design is beautiful and mm. making sure that... Um, you know our churches are beautiful all of those things are very important but it's not just that it it has to be in our proclamation that it's not just a beauty that is kind of it's kind of a, an aesthetic beauty but a deep human beauty which you know when you think about the beauty of Christ one of the most beautiful scenes that we can think of is Christ in a manger, like a poor child in a manger with prickly hay, and mm-hmm. Christ on the cross, bleeding and suffering for us. So these the the beauty of Christ is one of, of paradoxes that brings these things together, that helps us to to live in, in the midst of the darkness, to, but to find the light and. So that's why that's connected to the importance of acknowledging the darkness and, and evangelization.
1: Mm, I, I love that. I love that. And but by, by the way, um, you and I have a very common friend in Father Harrison Air, and he's been a guest on the program before. Yes. The author of the wonderful book *Mysterion* about the sacramental worldview. And and uh, I was talking to him earlier about about your your appearance on the show, and and he said, uh, here, here's a question that you can you can ask sister mm-hmm. a, a, about this because he says, we, you know, we, we, we lament that the deeper questions are never really asked or discussed. And, and he says that sometimes it's always forensic and managerial approaches to problems to try to save face, you know, for, for the institutional mm-hmm. church. So when it comes to the abuse crisis, for example, one of the things he said was that we're not really asking the deep questions about, the meaning and, and the nature of the church evaluating our responses to see what our responses to this crisis, what do they reveal about us as church? How are we governing this? Is it helping? Is it hindering? Mm-hmm. And because sometimes mm-hmm. he says it's usually more statistical in its analysis right. and response and maybe not so human. So mm-hmm. can you, can you comment on that a little bit, sister?
2: Yeah. You know, um, Benedict Sixteenth when he was Cardinal Ratzinger in a talk that he gave to communion and liberation, he talked about what true reform in the church looks like. And the example he gave was from St. Bonaventure, you know, how a sculptor will take away to reveal the sculpture. Mm -hmm. And he said, that's what reform in the church does. It takes away what is not truly of the church. So if we think of reform in terms of the abuse crisis, merely in terms of adding programs, then we're not thinking of, of it, even though those pro- pro- programs are absolutely necessary, that is the bare minimum. What we truly need to do is to really evaluate what were the mentalities, what were the attitudes, what were the cultural practices that led to something like this happening. And so I, father Harrison um, Although he doesn't quote Ratzinger, he, he you know, he loves Benedict XVI, <laughs> so he probably just thinks naturally like him, <laughs> but that he's he's completely right. It's the, what, what Ratzinger would say is that mm-hmm. the, we need to figure out what needs to be removed and what the Lord wants to remove that is not truly of the church so that we can be more like Christ.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, like michelangelo's david you know that, that block of marble that nobody really wanted you know it's damaged but psh, no let's see what i can do with this let's see what's really inside i i, I love that and and sister you're, you're so well known of course for focusing on memento mori the skulls on the desk all that stuff it's become a it's become a thing it's it, did, did memento mori did that concept kind of hit you in a different way because it was, it was probably like a death for you, yeah. wasn't it? The, this idea that the, I thought this was my vocation. I thought this was what the Lord wanted me to do. But now, as you said, you know, he blew up your, your future and he had a different plan. Did that, were you able to draw on those lessons of your own even during this time?
2: Yeah, I absolutely think so. You know, it's funny when I first started meditating on my death as a practice, I tweeted something like, you know, the bishops could really all use a skull on their desks. Wow! <laughs> and I was thinking about that in terms in terms of the abuse crisis, and and I do think it's a practice for our times because in order to live with integrity, especially in cultures, even ecclesial cultures that are not healthy, it really requires being willing to die and to take extreme risks. And so uh, for me, that, that practice of meditation really prepared me for that moment when mm-hmm. the Lord was saying, I want to take every security away from you. I want to lead you and Sister Maria Kim and Sister Danielle to something totally new. You will be risking your living of religious life to do it. You will be continuing to risk your religious life um, if you say the things that I would like you to say. And I, I, I want you to risk everything. And not just once, but every single day for me. And that, that's a part of, for me, that's a part of Memento Mori.
1: Wow. And by the way, Sister Danielle and Sister Maria, did, was this all happening like independently of each other? What this sort of sense, or did you kind of talk to them and say, hey, this, this is something weird happening to me. And oh, yeah. Like, how did that all work out? Like, how did you guys sort of decide to do this together?
2: Um, we had worked together before, and we we all had some of the some similar concerns, and so we would talk about different things. And it just it just I don't even know how to explain it. The Lord just made clear that um, He was leading us to something new.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow, and it, it sure is. And and you mentioned uh, when we were talking earlier, Archbishop Sample, Archbishop Alexander Sample. Of the Archdiocese of Portland, Oregon, uh, he's welcomed you guys uh, into that Archdiocese, and and how has he been supportive of you and and helped you to kind of get this thing going, at least at a, at, a, at a rudimentary level for now? And you just, I know it's just in its infancy stages, but talk to me about that.
2: Yeah, I mean, the biggest support that he gives us is welcoming us into his diocese. Um, private associations are pretty much on their own in the beginning to kind of prove that that themselves in in amidst the church is this really something that God is is doing. So he's been super supportive but also prudentially kind of we'll see what happens and in that process we've just been really edified by him because we we had to look around to find the right bishop for this and mm-hmm. we knew that it was a delicate mission that God was giving us and sensitive and it required, kind of that tenacity and ability to to take a risk on us and archbishop sample he he wrote a a letter on after the the Pennsylvania report came out on the yeah. abuse crisis and it was so powerful i think catholic culture has it if people want to google it and read it but okay. we just we knew that he would understand and or we hoped that he would, and that has proven to be true. And so we're really grateful to him for receiving us and seeing what happens.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and, and seeing what, what the Spirit does. My guest today is Sister Teresa Alethea Noble. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, and we will be right back with Sister and your phone calls, triple eight nine 914 Got to take a quick break. We'll be right back.
0: Helping you keep your mind off traffic and on the more important things in life. It's Kale Clark on Relevant Radio. That's
1: uh, one of my favorite tunes called "The Remedy," and we, we need a remedy. We need a healing bomb for the church in the wake of the abuse crisis and everything that's going on. And my guest today is Sister Teresa Alethea Noble from the Sisters of the Little Way. She's on a mission to bring truth, goodness, and beauty uh, to this situation and bring healing. And, and, and Sister. Um, when you guys, uh, I'd reached out to you a little while ago, when, and and you said, hey, "Kale, I'm not really ready yet to talk about the sisters of the little way in public." But now and then, recently, you got back to me and said, "Now, okay, now I am." And I'm sure, and you even told me this that that a lot of young women are reaching out to you saying, "How can I join? Is is it time for this yet, <laughs> or what? 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 What would you yeah. say?"
2: <laughs> Honestly, I'm still not ready. But um, <laughs> when we had a discussion about it with. Um, Sister Marie Kim and Sister Danielle Victoria, we just said, you know, we're we're not going to be ready for this for a while, really. (laughs) But we're just at the very beginning stages of something. But um, then we thought about it in terms of our charism and we just thought in terms of our mission in the church, we just thought this is related to... um, some of the things that can happen in the church that lead to unhealthy or even abusive circumstances where things new can start out and they can kind of present themselves as like all packaged and okay and everything is good and then they invite pe- people in to very vulnerable circumstances really and um, and they are not ready for that and the, the people entering don't necessarily know that this is a situation of where someone is a private association or there's all these technical um, words for what stages um, people Mm -hmm. are at when they try something like this. So we just said, you know what? Um, We can talk to people, but we'll just be honest about it. We'll just be really honest. We're not ready to accept young women who are discerning. Um, We take that very seriously Mm -hmm. and we need to be ready for that. And, um, and we also want to be just really honest about the uncertainty of what we're doing, you know, two thirds of I I read this, when I was doing all this research when I first heard God calling me to this. And I said, what exactly is is he calling me to? And I read that like two thirds of new religious communities don't continue. So um, wow. I was like, oh, well, thanks a lot, God. You're calling me to something with a two-thirds <laughs> failure rate, quote-unquote. But then I mm-hmm. thought to myself, that's another momentum worry. Like, if it's really, even if this lasts another year or two years, yeah. um, whatever God wants me to do in, in this time, I'm going to do it. And we all have decided to do that. So, um, yeah, so we're just being honest about where yeah. we're at. We're just at the very beginning of something. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and we're going to ask all of our listeners to to pray for you as you as you continue on that journey from day to day, uh, just trusting in those daily mercies from the Lord. Let's take a phone call right now. 888-914-9149. one four nine one four nine. Let's go to Luana in Mesa, Arizona, who's been waiting patiently on the line. Hi, Luana, you're on the air with Sister Teresa.
4: Oh, thank you so much for you know the both of you. I, I'm so glad to hear of such hope. And, um, you know, God is our, God is the boss and we're the team players and happy to be. So, so my question was, I, I'm glad to hear of your story, sister. My husband and I have, um, have a son and I guess we're in a, a group of more and more parents who are saying, Oh yes, our children have fallen away from the faith and, you know, please pray for them. Um, in our case, we have a son who, um, He's in the Navy. He's married and um, about 26, and he's expecting uh, a new child. We're all very happy. However, um, I was told by him, and I raised him, you know, we raised him in the faith um, mm-hmm. that he no longer believes what we believe. Mm-hmm. And as you can imagine, mm-hmm. it's a sword through yeah. the heart. Yeah. So what would you suggest? And excuse my me being emotional because this is huge for me. I love mm-hmm. our faith. I love our faith. And my husband does too. And what would you suggest, you know, how should we approach them? Because, you know, I have tried, tried, tried. And he's a very mm-hmm. intellectual kid and he's a good guy. Mm. Yeah. And, um, you know, we want to make sure we want to that that baby is baptized and, and brought up in the mm-hmm. faith as well. but right now it's more like yes, yes, mom we, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we yeah we just tolerate you and your dad's uh, faith, but yeah. you know we don't believe it anymore.
1: Well Luana, yeah that's a great question sister, you've dealt with this a lot. of course, you wrote a book about this how to reach your prodigal <laughs> and uh, the prodigal in your life. The prodigal you love is the name of the book and, and what are your thoughts on this?
2: Yeah, I have to say that um the way that I think about this has changed. Um and I think the main thing I would say to you Luana is that I can't tell you what to do. But you are his mother. So I think deep down you have the instincts. You've lived with him, you you know him, you raised him, you love him very deeply. So I would just say to really trust yourself and to trust what you feel like saying and and not saying. And I think sometimes when we go to books and we go to different things to tell us how to relate to our loved ones, it can bring us to a situation where we, um, Hmm. where we do what deep down we know isn't quite right. We're kind of following the advice of the quote unquote experts, but, but you are the expert in your son Mm, and yeah. I I would just encourage you to trust trust your motherhood and ask the holy spirit to guide you in your interactions with him because you you know him best and and the lord will will help you to know what to say.
1: Yeah, I, I like that. It's it's not so much a, a science as an art form and, and sometimes we can get too hung up on the, on the techniques and oh if only I had the right book to tell me how to deal with the situation. Yeah. And uh, I think
2: a lot of people feel just so incapable when it, when they feel like they have to follow a technique or they have to do it the right way, you know? mm -hmm. And I think parents, especially just to be empowered in their parenthood and their love for their children is the biggest thing because they know their children.
1: Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, and that, that's it. It's a Peter Kreft used to say, "Hey, you know, teaching is about love for the subject and love for the student." And certainly, there's a great love for the student when it comes to being a parent. You know, this person. Um, Yeah, I I love that. I love that approach, sister. That's that's a great, great, great answer there. And let's go now to. uh, I actually want to go to line two. John in Encides, Encinitas, excuse me, (laughs) California. Yeah, sorry, I messed that up. But John, welcome to the program. I couldn't read the screen there. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yes, I sure can. Yep, you're on the air with Sister.
0: Great. Yeah, I'm the one you called the Catholic rapper when I said I've been been a blessing I've been a curse. (laughs) But, yeah, 49 years ago I was at the Eucharistic Congress in Philadelphia. And the first day of the Congress I wanted to meet Mother Teresa and so did 10,000 other people. two days later we're traveling back to the Bellevue Stratford Hotel where they had the Legionnaires disease. And I heard a voice, there were two uh, priests with us and four seminarians, and I heard a voice saying, there's Mother Teresa. I looked down right in front of the Bellevue Stratford with Mother Teresa and her beautiful blue and white sari, and I went running like a hawk down upon her and grabbed her right hand, kissed it. The other fellows came up. She's looking at us mysteriously, and one of the seminarians said, we're seminarians. She quickly took his hand, pressed it like pressing coal into a diamond, and said to looking up in his eyes, oh, you must be holy, you must be holy priests. If you're not gonna be holy, forget it right now. Be holy. And when you talk about the sculpting and taking away, that Mother mm-hmm. uh, was, Teresa was working on the interior of the person. I looked at that fellow and he became a priest and unfortunately he fell victim to pedophilia. So he did not mm-hmm. listen to the words of Mother Teresa. God bless.
4: Yeah, or others fall victim. Yeah.
1: Thanks, John. Appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any, any comments, sister? I mean, it's the lesson's fairly obvious, I think. But.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I think, I think sometimes the the greatest darknesses in the church can cloak themselves in light, and mm. so we can we can try to, I think especially people with evil intentions can often um, mimic someone who is holy. And this is, this is only really kind of slightly really related to what John was saying, but it just makes me think yeah. of this reality in the church that, um, that sometimes what we think is holiness is not really what holiness is. Mm. And then um, sometimes evil intentions can masquerade as holiness. And so it's just something to be, to be aware of because, yes, the most important thing is to be holy. But what does that really mean? I think sometimes we can associate it with these kind of masquerading qualities of holiness mm-hmm. um, because that makes people feel more comfortable, really. Um, but real holiness requires something of us that can cause discomfort um, for ourselves, most especially, um, mm. but also for the people around
1: us. Yeah, that's, that's well said. It, it kind of makes me think about St. Paul talking about the false apostles who say even, even Satan masquerades as an angel of light, so it, it shouldn't be surprising mm-hmm. to us at, at any level. i got two quick questions for you, Sister, because we're almost out of time. Number one, how can people find you online? I know you're concerned with reaching the digital continent, as Pope Benedict said, online, this is where a lot of lost people are, disillusioned people. How can people find you online and hear more about what you're doing?
2: Yeah, if people look for, um, first of all, our website is com, and then people can search for Sisters of the Little Way on Instagram, on um, Facebook, and on TikTok, and you can Ooh. find me at Pursued by Truth on Twitter.
1: At Pursued by Truth, absolutely, and here, here's oh, another we're question. Oh, X now. I've yeah, that's right, That right, shows you how
2: long I was off. <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, what happened? You know, a lot of yeah. happened while I was gone.
2: Like, yeah.
4: Uh,
1: <laughs> And here, and here's another question for you as well, because today is also the feast day of St. Cecilia, the patron saint of music. Is it possible that she can also be the patron saint of punk rock music? Because I know you're a big fan.
2: <laughs> I know. I know people would disagree with me, but that has uh, punk rock. I would say yes.
1: Yes. I, okay. I love it. But I can, I
2: can understand why people would be horrified by my answer to that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and that, that's a, that's a passion you've had since you were young.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. And I think there's something about the music that we loved when we were young that can be it can continue to be an encouragement in our lives. So I've definitely it. listened to a lot of punk rock lately. <laughs>
1: I love it. I just got a message from Miranda, who's uh, taking calls for us today on the show, and she's like, "Yes, punk rock." And so I guess I guess you've got a you've got a fellow fan here. Well, I'll tell you what, you, you've uh, you've really inspired us during this hour. I wish we had more time. We're out of time. God Thank bless you. you and all the sisters of the Little Way, both present and in the future to come, God willing. My guest today has been Sister Teresa Alathea Noble from the Sisters of the Little Way. You've been listening to the Kale Clark Show. Patrick Halog produced. Miranda Siniseros took your phone calls today. Take it away, Michaela.
4: Thank you for listening to my daddy.